are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So once again, we hear from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, picking right up from where we left off last Sunday. And what is Paul driving at this week? Foolishness. Or, more specifically, God's foolishness. We began our reading tonight by repeating the last verse from last Sunday's reading. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God to which Paul then cites from the prophet Isaiah in the Greek version, which is what he would have known, saying, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now Paul is just winding up here to pitch one of the most elegant and in some ways off-kilter pieces of prose in the whole canon of his letters, his epistles. He's writing to that church community in Corinth, which he himself had planted, but he's now recognizing that Corinth is a tough town for a gospel preacher. If you heard last Sunday's sermon, you may recall how I described Corinth as being a Roman city on Greek soil which meant that even though the empire controlled Greece and pretty much every country and territory right round the Mediterranean, Corinth was not so much an occupied Greek city as it was a Roman city on Greek land. With that came an intellectual life very much indebted to the Roman way and one in which various visiting teachers would be able to come and voice their particular views, perhaps build something of a following. As I said last week, this produced a smorgasbord of views. And no matter how a teacher like Paul might have appealed to a higher call, it was all too easy for his teaching to get tangled in with other views and even set into a kind of competition one with another. Not only is Paul's teaching then followed by that of Apollos and Peter in Corinth, creating some real tension as to who is following which teacher here in our community, but Paul is afraid that ultimately those educated, erudite Corinthians so accustomed to hearing all manner of new thought and ideas, had rather missed the point of what he'd been trying to say to them in the first place. So here, as he writes back to them from where he is staying in Ephesus, he takes one good hard crack at it. For Jews demand signs, he writes, and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Greeks. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, God's weakness stronger than human strength. God's foolishness, God's weakness. These terms are truly without precedent in the Hebrew scriptures, which the early Christians had carried forward with them from their Jewish forebears. This is all far-fetched. God's weakness, God's foolishness, all far-fetched, writes the biblical scholar Mary Hinkle Shore, continuing then to say, this would be especially true for people like the Corinthians, some of whom, at least, were impressed by their own knowledge. Paul knows he cannot win an argument based on who has the more reasonable position, So he speaks of God's wisdom as only really making sense in an entirely different realm. Paul contrasts the wisdom of the world with the foolishness of our proclamation, with the advantage going to God's foolishness, with the advantage going to God's foolishness, she writes. And isn't that quite a statement? And then comes this from Paul. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in your own learning and intellectual adaptability, he's saying. If you must boast, then boast in the one who is the very source of your life and whose folly, foolishness, and weakness and lowliness hold a kind of upside-down authority in the world. Because held up against what some, and here it is mostly some of those Corinthians, call wisdom and strength, God's folly and weakness are precisely the key. When I was an undergraduate at the University of Winnipeg, oh, so very long ago, My older sister told me that I simply had to go to a screening of the 1966 film, King of Hearts, which was playing that weekend in the Art Gallery Auditorium. Don't know if anybody, does anybody here know that film, King of Hearts? You should. It's a French production with subtitles, and some sections in English. The film is set in the First World War. The actor Alan Bates plays a British private from a Scottish regiment. He wears a kilt. They all do in that regiment. And he's sent ahead of his regiment to a French town to scout for enemy presence. What he doesn't know when he arrives 
is that the German forces have only recently retreated, leaving behind a timed bomb that will destroy the town, hopefully once the British forces all arrive. Now the townsfolk have discovered this bomb plant, and they fled so quickly that they neglected to do anything at all about the residents of the local asylum, the local mental health hospital. And it is to that asylum that the young soldier goes, finding there the only remaining residents in the whole of the town. Now, I should just say that the film is actually something of a parable It's drawn in great, big, bold lines. The residents of the asylum are delusional, often childlike, very vulnerable, but ultimately a bit joyous. There are no signs of the struggles of depression or schizophrenia or any of the other disorders that plague residents and characterize the life of an actual mental health hospital in a city like ours. So the film isn't a particularly realistic portrayal of the real challenges of mental health, but what it is is a commentary on folly and wisdom. When the soldier realizes that he has stumbled across a mental health institute, he quickly leaves. There are still some Germans around, so he poses one of the patients, but then he quickly leaves. But now the gates have been unlocked and opened, and the patients all disperse into the town to take on all of the roles usually filled by others in the normal day-to-day life of that town. There is one fellow who heads straight for the church. It's clearly a cathedral. To clothe himself in the vestments of a bishop, which he quite loves wearing. But as the film goes forward, you wonder if perhaps he hadn't once been a bishop. All the while, the young soldier is in search of the bomb that will destroy the town, which seems an increasingly impossible task. And throughout it all, he's accompanied by these new companions, increasingly his friends in that town. Well, as the film moves toward its conclusion, the bomb is actually found, but only after he's tried unsuccessfully to vacate those folks from the city. He marches them out to the edge and he goes through the gates and they stop. They can't leave because the madness outside the gates in the war is much deeper than the madness they live with. Well, once the bomb is found, the full British regiment returns, the citizens come back to their town, the residents of the hospital slowly return back to the familiar of that asylum. The war will continue to rage, and as that young soldier prepares to rejoin his regiment, the question hangs over it all. Who, in fact, is wise?
And who are the fools? In the midst of the madness of the war, those abandoned residents had played and laughed and embraced new roles and cared for one another while just miles away the war in all of its madness had raged. My sister's insistence that I go to see this film, and I was about 18 or 19, was informed by her own deep immersion in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And her hope that I would be able to see the hidden power of a film that was ostensibly a comic farce, but which ultimately offered a deep commentary on God's foolishness being wiser than human wisdom, God's weakness stronger than human strength. So when I hear Paul asking, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? I can't help but think about that now 57-year-old film, complete with a remarkable closing scene that I won't tell you about here tonight, because I hope that maybe some of you might make the time to watch it. It is available on Canopy for free. If you have a Winnipeg library card, you can watch it for free. You can rent it, I think, from Apple. You can get at it. And that film, that closing scene, hammers home what Paul is trying to convey in an offbeat, absurd, and yet utterly compelling way. In reading the Beatitudes this evening, I was again struck by just how upside down was Jesus' view of the world. Blessings for the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the merciful, or in short, for all those who found themselves in spaces that the Roman Empire most definitely would not have blessed them for being in. And maybe not so much our society either. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus proclaimed, for they will be called children of God. And sometimes it is only God who fully realizes the wisdom and the promise of something like peacemaking. Our call as Christ's people, his disciples, is to have imaginations that are enlarged in ways that allow us to glimpse something of how Jesus saw the world, and then with Paul to embrace the glory of God's folly. And at the heart of that glory is this. We matter. Humans matter. We do we are God's beloved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, 
You can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.